The title of my message this evening, as you know, I'm still in a series called Words from the Cross, but the title of my message tonight is It Is Finished. It's the sixth of seven phrases that Jesus spoke while hanging on Calvary's cross. I started this message with probably about 10 pages of notes, but I don't have that much time, so I had to strip some stuff out, and that's what I really hate because you gotta, you gotta miss something, but what I'm hoping is that what we, what we hear tonight is what God wants us to hear and that it challenges us, that it builds us up, that it just gives us a greater understanding and appreciation of exactly what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. Amen. Not gonna, Recap all of the things that we've covered so far, only to run through just the words real quick that we've so far covered uh, concerning Jesus on the cross being this. The first word Jesus spoke was, Father, forgive them. The second was, today you will be with me in paradise. The third was, woman, behold thy son. The fourth was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth was, I am thirsty. And tonight we will look at one of the most famous words of all, which is, it is finished. These words are found in John 19, verse 29 and 30, which says this. A jar full of vinegar was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine vinegar upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to Jesus' mouth. And when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And before I go any farther, church, or really even get into any deep theology, how many of you are glad we serve a God who finishes what he starts? Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God that that doesn't stop halfway. Amen. He finishes what he starts in the very beginning of time in Genesis 2, 2. It tells us that by the seventh day of God's creation, God had finished his work. Amen. His he he completed his creation by the seventh day and nothing. The word of God tells us was left undone. He didn't stop halfway through the process and nothing was incomplete by the seventh day. All of creation, all of the heavens and all of the earth and everything was complete. He didn't forget to hang a star in the sky. He didn't leave a planet out of place. He didn't fail to forge a single valley or mold a single mountain. He didn't fail to clothe the, the lilies of the, fall, of the valley or, or, or the birds with feathers. He didn't forget to put leaves on the tree or grass on the ground or water in the oceans. Amen. He finished what he started, church. God didn't grow weary on day two. He didn't grow weary on day three or day four or day five. He didn't tire from the task. The Bible says he finished his work. Amen. And we should take confidence in that, that we serve a God that finishes what he starts. Amen. And 2000 years ago, the son of God hanging on an old rugged cross on Golgotha's hill reminds us with his sixth phrase that he is still the same. How many of you know he's still the same church? He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he started something 20,000 years ago or 2000 years ago and finished it, then whatever he starts today, he'll finish as well. But the Bible tells me that he finishes what he starts when he speaks. He acts when he promises he fulfills. Amen. Please understand, Jesus didn't give up when most of his disciples left him in John chapter 6. And you can read it in verse 66. He didn't quit when Judas betrayed him. 
He didn't throw in the towel when Peter denied him or when the people said, crucify him. He didn't stop halfway up Golgotha's hill. He didn't forsake us when he was beaten, battered, and bruised. He didn't resign from his mission and he didn't curtail his call when things got rough and tough and the people mocked him and spat upon him or or crucified him to a tree. He finished what he started on Golgotha's hill. He drank the entire cup of suffering so that you and I could be free. And I don't know about you, church, but I am thankful that God finishes what he starts. Amen. When the cup was bitter, he didn't give up. When the cup was bitter, he didn't push it aside. When the cup was bitter and the suffering was strong, he did not say, I've had enough and they're not worth it. He finished what he started, church. Amen. He drank up all of the pain on Calvary's cross. He drank up all of the guilt. He drank up all of the shame. He drank up all of the condemnation that you and I deserved. He drank up all of the punishment for our sins. And then he said in his next to last words, it is finished. Listen, I don't have time to go into all of the theology that I alluded to last week concerning that last cup that Jesus didn't drink when he was sitting around the Last Supper. But one of the reasons Jesus didn't drink the fourth cup of wine at the Last Supper was because communion was not yet over. When you did communion back then and Passover, the fourth cup, when you drank of the cup, it was the close of communion. But but Jesus didn't drink of it because communion wasn't done yet, because there at the Passover meal, there at the Last Supper, Jesus's work was not yet complete. The final sacrifice had not yet been made. Jesus's blood was not yet poured out and his body was not yet broken. So that's one of the reasons why he did not close out communion, because the work was not yet done. But just a couple days later. Or a couple days later, when when he was hanging upon Calvary's cross, when his body was now broken and his blood was now poured out, he was able to say it is finished. It wasn't finished around the table, church. It wasn't finished at the Last Supper. It was finished on Calvary's cross. And that's why he spoke these words at the cross, because now the once and for all sacrifice was finally made here on Calvary's cross. His work was complete. And Jesus said, it is finished after three and a half years of public ministry. After pouring himself out like a drink offering, after after he drank the full cup of suffering while hanging on an old rugged cross, Jesus said, it is finished. My work is now done. My work is now complete. Again, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God who finishes church. I'm glad I serve a God that's not a quitter. I'm glad I serve a faithful father who endures to the end. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, Moses speaks to the people and he says these words. Know, therefore, that the Lord, your God, he is God. He is the faithful God. Listen, if you're questioning or wondering if God is God, I want you to know that he is God. And like Brother Willie tells us all the time, he is God all by himself. He doesn't need your help to be God. He doesn't need my help to be God. He doesn't need anything that I can offer him to be God. He is God, the word of God says. But not only is he God, he is the faithful God. There's no other God that is as faithful as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no other God that 
is as faithful as Jehovah God. He is not only God, He is the one and only true God. He is the only wise God, and He is the only faithful God. He's the one who follows through when no other God follows through. Man will let you down. Man will disappoint you. And all the other gods of this world, all the self-proclaimed gods that fill this universe, they will all let you down. But God is the one and only faithful God. He's the one who keeps his word. Amen. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. This world will make a lot of promises. The people in your life will make a lot of promises. There's a lot of gods out there that have made all sorts of promises. And those promises will one day be broken. But when God speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. And here on Calvary's cross, after he had poured himself out, he made us the promise that it is finished. All my work is done. Your redemption has now been purchased through my blood. And now you have access to the Father. It is finished. Amen. Listen, that's worthy of applause and thanking God for. He is the one who finishes what he starts and he never leaves anything undone. It may seem from time to time in your life that God's not listening to you or God's not attentive to you or God's overlooking you. But I want you to know in the midst of it all, God is still doing something in your life. Still working, church, because he never leaves anything undone. That's the word of God. That's not my word. That's his word. He finishes what he starts. In Philippians 1.6, Paul said, I am confident in this. He used the word pytho in the Greek. He said, I am pytho in this, meaning I am persuaded to believe in this. I am convinced of this. I am certain of this, Paul said. I am without any doubt confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until that day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to finish that work. He who began a good work in you and you and you and me, he who began a good work in his children is faithful to complete that work and continue that work until the day Jesus Christ calls us home. Amen. He who began, I'm confident of this, he said. I'm confident that he will finish what he started, Paul said. How many of you know God started a good work in you and me? How many of you know we sang about it? Oh, happy day. Whenever that day was, church, for you, that God came into your life, when he pulled you out of the miry clay, when he pulled you out of the pit, when he put you on the rock eternal, when he took the blinders off your eyes, when he pulled you out of the snares of, uh, of death, church, that was the beginning of God's good work in our life. Listen. On October 18, Sunday, October 18, I know you've heard me say it time and time again, but I know the day that I got saved. I know what that happy day was. I know where I was. I know the hour. I know the day. I know the moment that, that, that my day and my life became happy because of what God did for me. But on Sunday, October 18, 1981, at Calvary Assembly of God in Wincote, Pennsylvania, God began a good work in my life. Listen, I know that God created or began a good work while I was in my mother's womb. He knit me together and formed me in, in complete darkness, and he ordered and numbered my days before I took a single breath. But there had to come a point in time where I surrendered to his good work, 
where I surrendered to his will, where I surrendered to his plan. And the sad reality is there's a lot of people that wait until their last breath of life to surrender finally to the work of God. And so they can't do any good work. God can't do any good work in their life because they've not surrendered to it. But on that day, Sunday, October 18, 1981, I surrendered to the good work of God in my life. And my life has never been the same because of it. I hope you know the day. I hope you know the hour. Because if you don't, you need to surrender today so this can be the happy day. So that God can begin a good work in your life. Amen. Listen, the reality is before that day for my life, the devil was busy doing a bad work and an evil work. The reality is before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the devil was busy doing a bad work and an evil work. But on that happy day when Jesus set me free, God began to do a good work in my life. This right here is part of that good work, church. Whatever you're doing for the kingdom of God, that's part of the good work. And it began on that oh happy day. That he saved your life. But Paul was convinced, he said, that he who began a good work in me will carry that out until completion. On that day for me, he began to mold me. He began to break me. He began to fashion me and form me and transform me into his likeness. He began a good work in me, church, and he is doing a good work in you as well. Christ grabbed hold of... Paul said... In one of his passages, he reminds us that God grabbed hold of him for a purpose. God grabbed hold of me for a purpose, Paul said. And the reality is God grabbed hold of me for a purpose and he grabbed hold of you for a purpose as well. And it's for him to do a good work in us, church. That's why he grabbed a hold of us. So that he could pull us out of darkness and pull us, save us from, from sin and from death. But that's not the only reason he pulled us out. He pulled us out and he grabbed hold of us so he could do a good work in us. So the question I'm asking you tonight, one of the questions that the Holy Spirit is asking is, what good work are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do in your life? What good work is being accomplished through you? Because if there's not a good work taking place in your life, you've not fully surrendered to him, church. He wants to do a good work in our life. Please grasp this. What God did for me is finished. When he said it is finished, his work was complete. His work was done. Everything that he was called to do was finished on Calvary's cross. So so here's what you need to understand. What God did for me is finished. However, what he's doing in me isn't. Everything God needed to do concerning my life through Jesus Christ has already been done. Jesus doesn't have to do anything more. The Bible tells me that he has given me everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. What Jesus did for me is finished. But what God wants to do in me and is still doing in me, he's still working it out. Why do you think Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so he could finish his work in me? Jesus finished his work for us on Calvary's cross, but that doesn't mean that God's done working in us and through us. You see, when Jesus died and and, and was resurrected, our work began. Jesus finished his work on Calvary's cross, and when he ascended to the Father, he told us that our work now is to begin. Why? He said, go therefore into all the earth and preach the gospel. Jesus finished our work, his work, and our work just began. So here's what we need to understand. I am confident, Paul said, that he who began a good work in me will finish it. You see, Paul understood that Jesus finished his work, 
But the Holy Spirit and God was still having to do a work in him. This is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament scriptures. He was the greatest New Testament teacher and prophet that we knew. And and yet Paul is saying, he's still doing a work in me. I might not look like him now. I might not be exactly like him yet. I might not be a perfect reflection of him. But I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete that work. Please understand that God's still working in you. And God's still working with me. Paul said, I haven't attained it yet. I've not arrived yet. I hope we never kept to that place in, in our spiritual life where we think I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm arrived. I've been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, and God's done working with me. No, He's not. He filled you with the Holy Ghost just to get you started. He filled you with the Holy Ghost just so you could go into the highways and the byways and the dark places of the world, not sit around here in a holy huddle and think, hey, I've arrived. He filled you with the Holy Spirit and power so you could go out and do a good work in a lost and dying world. Jesus finished his work, but we've still got work to do. Amen. And we do it through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't want to get too off track. I just want you to understand what Jesus is saying here on Calvary's cross. Listen, when the devil comes to me, one of the first things I've learned in dealing with the devil and all of his empty accusations when he hurls them at me is to remind him that God isn't finished with me yet. When he comes to me, whenever it might be, and says, Jeff, you've really messed it up now. Jeff, you really blew it now. Jeff, you failure. You're a failure in your faith. When he says anything else to discourage me, anything else to try to get me to throw in the towel, my response is simply, Satan, God is not finished with me yet. And I also remind him that God's not finished with him yet either. Because there's coming a day, the Bible tells me, when God will bind up Satan and he will throw him into the pit forever and forever and forever. So I can say to, I can say to the devil, listen, I may not look like Jesus Christ right now. I may not be a complete reflection of Jesus Christ. I may not talk exactly like him and walk exactly like him and think exactly like him. But God isn't finished with me yet, Satan. And he's not finished with you either because you're going to be bound up and cast into hell. But I am, I am going to look like Jesus Christ. See, listen, we need to understand that God's not finished with us yet. We shouldn't get discouraged when things go wrong, when we mess up and we fail and we stumble and we fall, because God's not finished with us yet. The devil will try to get you to throw in the towel because he knows there's coming a day when you will be transformed into the likeness of God. So he wants you to get in, he wants you to throw in the towel when you stumble, throw in the towel when you mess up, throw in the towel when you fall. The last thing he wants you to do is get back up and run the race. He doesn't want you to finish because he doesn't want you to wear the crown. He doesn't want you to win the prize and he doesn't want anyone else looking like Jesus. So don't give up when, when you stumble and fall, get back up and say, thank you, God, that you're not finished with me yet. Thank you, God, that I might stumble and I might fall. But the word of God says I will not be cast headlong. Listen, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Jude chapter 24 and 25, where Jude says he's thankful that God is able to keep him from stumbling and to present him to the Father with great joy. 
That's one of my favorite passages. It reminds me that God is able to keep me from stumbling and to present me to the Father with great joy, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Amen? So keep that in mind. The reason that Paul was so confident in his completion and in our completion And the reason that we should be so confident that God will finish what he started in us is because of what Jesus finished for us on Calvary's cross. You see, if you don't understand, if you're not confident and convinced of what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross, you'll never be confident in what God can do in us. If you don't believe and you're not confident in what Jesus accomplished for us on Calvary's cross and the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body and the offering of himself as a propitiation for our sins. If you're not confident in what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross, you'll never be confident in what he can do in us or in you. It all starts on Calvary's cross and what Jesus Christ did for us, church. Please understand the work of Christ for me and for you was completed on Calvary's cross. God finished what God began because he finishes what he starts. Amen. He set out to redeem us. And on Calvary's cross, he did. He redeemed us. He redeemed us, church. Remember, to redeem in the Greek means to buy back. It means to repurchase. It means to regain possession, church. And 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what happened on Calvary's cross. God purchased our salvation. You understand that? He purchased our salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was here on Calvary's cross where God regained possession of you and me. He lost it in the garden when Adam decided to sin and sin entered into the world. He lost us as a people. But here on Calvary's cross, because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he bought us back. He redeemed us, church, and he regained possession of us. I I don't know about you, but I'm glad and thankful that because of Jesus, God regained possession of me. That I'm not owned by the devil. That I'm not owned by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I'm glad that I'm not owned by the kingdom of darkness, but that the kingdom of light has regained possession of me through the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. This is something we should rejoice about, church. It's where God walked in here on Calvary's cross. It's where God walked into the slave yard of sin and made a trade. His son... For you and me, his life for our life, his blood for our life. He went into the slave yard of sin and he repurchased us, church. He, He bought us back as his own possession. Please understand on Calvary's cross, Jesus made a trade. He made a trade on Calvary's cross. He took our punishment so we could have peace. He made a trade. His stripes for our healing. He made a trade. His rejection for our acceptance. He made a trade. His death for our life. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus made a trade. Amen. 
Because I'm the one that should have been on that auction block. I'm the one that should have been sold for 30 pieces of silver, which was the common cost for a common slave. It's not by coincidence that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver because that's all it cost to buy a slave. And that's what Jesus became for us. He became a slave for us so that we could be free. Please understand that, church. Jesus finished His work for us on Calvary's cross. Our redemption was completed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And now the Holy Spirit is doing a good work in us. This may sound strange to you. Please don't think it's heretical. Please don't think I've lost my mind. But Jesus isn't working in your life anymore. The Holy Spirit is. Please understand Jesus finished his work for you. The Holy Spirit is the one that is now working in you and for you. He is the one that is leading you to all truth. He is the one that is teaching you truth. He is the one that is covering you. He is the one that is infilling you. Jesus finished his work on Calvary's cross. He did not have to do anything more. It's why he sent the Comforter. It's why he sent the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better for me to go away so that you can have the Comforter, so that you can have the Holy Spirit that can finish the work that I started on Calvary's cross for you. Please understand, Jesus finished His work. He doesn't have to do diddly squat for you and me again. He don't have to climb up on a cross again. He don't have to be mocked again. He doesn't have to be ridiculed again. He doesn't have to have nails in his hand again or a spear in his side again. He doesn't have to have a crown of thorns on his head again. He doesn't have to be erected between heaven and earth again. He finished his work. Amen. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. Listen, oh, I wish you could get this. So many of us are running into troubles in life and problems in life and overcoming life because we think Jesus isn't finished. We think he's still got to do something great. We think he's still got to do something wonderful. He's finished. And we've got to learn to live in that and rest in that. We've got to learn that that's why He sent us the Holy Spirit, so that when we need help, we cry out, Holy Spirit, help me! Jesus already helped you. He gave His life for you, and He gave His life for me. Why do you think at the end of all of our prayers we pray in Jesus' name? Because He finished the work. If He wouldn't have finished the work, His his name at the end of our prayers would be meaningless. But there's power in the name of Jesus. We seal our our prayers in the name of Jesus. Our prayers are finished and accomplished in the name of Jesus because He finished it on Calvary's cross. If you don't believe it's finished on the cross, your prayer life is empty. You'll never experience the goodness and the blessings and the miracles of God in your life. Because at the end of the prayer, when you say in Jesus' name, you are, you are confessing that the work of Jesus Christ has been finished in my life. And if you don't understand that, the healing won't come and the joy won't come and the peace won't come and the victory won't come. Because you think he's still got to do something to bring it your way. He did it on Calvary's cross. I hope you're getting this, church. Forgive me for getting so loud. But I want us to understand what Jesus did for us. It is 
finished, he said. I've, I've purchased you. I've purchased your peace. I've purchased your healing. I've purchased your, I've purchased your joy. I've purchased your righteousness. I've purchased your salvation. I've purchased your forgiveness. Whatever you have need of tonight, church, understand Jesus purchased it and paid for it on Calvary's cross. He redeemed us, the Bible says. He bought us back. We, we are now once again His possession. Oh, I hope you understand what I'm trying to teach here tonight, church. Amen? Listen, if you could understand this, it would change your prayer life. And if your prayer life changes, your life changes. When you go pray, you don't have to beg for stuff. You don't have to beg God for the healing. Start saying, God, I thank you that my healing was finished on Calvary's cross. You said, by your stripes I'm healed. It's finished. I believe it. I receive it. I claim it. Please understand what I'm saying. Your prayers need to be filled with that promise and that wondrous work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It's finished. Every time you and I pray, we need to pray believing that it's finished, that it's been done. Listen, your kids may not look like Christ right now. They may not act like Christ. They may look look more like the devil and act more like the devil. And your spouse might look more like the devil and act more like the devil. But please understand, God's not finished with them. But He finished it on the cross. So when we pray, we can say, God, I thank You that You're still doing a work But I thank you that there is a finished work already been provided for my son. A finished work already provided for my daughter. A finished work already provided for my husband or for my wife or for my business or for my finances or for my body or for my mind. There is a finished work available for every single one of us. And when we begin to add that to our prayer life and our understanding and our confessions, our life will change. But far too often we go through through life and our prayer lives are, woe is me and poor me and oh my God. They're not filled with faith. They're incomplete. They're empty. Because they're not based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. You understand what I'm saying, church? I hope you're grasping this. It was meaningful to me, and I just want it to be meaningful to you. Jesus' work was completed at Calvary. Jesus finished His work on Golgotha's hill. When He breathed His last breath, there was no more for Him to do. It is finished, He said. Our redemption was complete The price for our life was paid in full. We have to understand the depth of that church. We have to understand that He has given us everything already through the cross, everything we need pertaining to life and righteousness. And He doesn't have to do another thing to redeem us. It was done on that day 2,000 years ago. Hebrews 9, 12-13 Reminds us that Jesus was the once and for all, the final, the satisfying, the eternal sacrifice to the Father. 
It was finished on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. He was the once and for all. Telling me that Jesus don't have to climb up on the cross again. See, in the Old Testament, and even in the early before Jesus Christ, in the, in the sacrificial process, the Bible tells us that time and time again, offerings had to be made. Because the offerings of blood and goats and rams could not take away the sins of men. So they had to continually bring the same offering and the same sacrifice. And it was good for 365 days. But Jesus was the once and for all final, everlasting, eternal, good forever sacrifice that satisfied the Father once and for all. You see, the reality is the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to satisfy the Father, but the blood of the precious Lamb of God was enough to satisfy the Father once and for all. And when that blood was shed and that body was broken, and in His second to last breath, when Jesus said, It is finished our redemption was sealed and God regained possession of you and possession of me it was completed at Calvary's cross no more bulls no more goats no more blood no more law it was finished forever and ever through the blood of Jesus Christ Understand, Jesus did everything the Father had commanded Him to do for 33 and a half years. And here at Calvary's cross, Jesus completes His call. He humbled Himself. He made Himself nothing. He poured Himself out like a drink offering, the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. He paid the price. He gave his life. He made the trade. He did the will of him who sent me. And now, in his second to last breath, he is finally able to say, it is finished. Because he did. Because he finished the Father's will. Because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the Bible says, because he purchased our salvation with his own blood, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, the Word of God says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow on earth and above earth and under earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because he finished what he started you see, the reality is if Jesus would not have finished, he would not have been exalted. If he would not have humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, the Bible makes it clear that he would not be sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Jesus was given the name above every name because he emptied himself, because he poured himself out like a drink offering, because he finished what he started. And the reality is we've got to keep that in the back of our mind, church, because if you want to sit at that banqueting table, you've got to finish what you started as well. If you want to drink of that last cup that Jesus will drink with us when we're sitting around the table, if you want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, guess what? You've got to finish what you started as well. The Bible makes it clear in Revelations in number of verses that he, he, he who endures is the one that will be rewarded. 
He who endures to the end will be given a new name. He that endures to the end will be given a robe, a white robe. He that endures to the end will have a stone with a new name on it. He who endures to the end will hear those words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that has been prepared for you. Please understand all of that. Our rest, even our rest, hinged Upon Jesus Christ finishing what he started on Calvary's cross. If he didn't finish, we'd have no rest. If he didn't finish, we'd have no peace. If he didn't finish, we'd have no joy. But he finished. Amen. We need to rejoice in that. And that needs to be our encouragement. That needs to be our encouragement to continue on. Jesus, whom for the hope set before him, endured the cross at the hands of wicked men so that when we go through trials and tribulations, the Bible says we won't give up. So as we go through difficult times and hard times, we need to look at Jesus and think, boy, I've never been through what he'd been through and he finished. So should I. I hadn't been crucified on a cross Hadn't been whipped like he was whipped, bruised like he was bruised, battered like he was bruised. But the Bible says he endured it all so that when we go through hard times, we won't give up, church. Don't give up. Why? Because God's not finished with you yet. Don't give up because Jesus already won the, won the, the victory for you and me. Don't throw in the towel. Amen? Listen, I'm trying to find a place to wind this down we could just understand that Jesus here, let me read this as I wind this down. Hebrews 10, 11 and 12 says every priest stands daily ministering and offering, like I said before, time after time, the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, sat down at the right hand of the father. And we need to understand that. This just emphasizes what I'm trying to teach you. It says after he did all of that, he sat down at the right hand of the father. And what we need to understand is that Jesus sat down because his work was done. He sat down because his work was finished. The servant back then in New Testament times and any other time, they did not sit down until they were done. They did not sit down until they did everything they were supposed to do until they served all of those that were around them. Then the Bible says they sat down. But Jesus. After pouring himself out, after making himself nothing and emptying himself as the once and for all sacrifice for all of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down because his work of redemption was finished on Calvary's cross. He doesn't have to do anything else to acquire our salvation, church. And listen to this, neither do we. Neither do we. All we have to do is receive and believe, the Bible says, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we shall be saved. The finished work of Jesus Christ, and we shall be saved. Receive it and believe it. If we could just understand the power of that, I believe our lives would be changed forever. If we could just understand that it, meaning our redemption, was finished on Calvary's cross. If we could just understand the wonder of His finished work on Golgotha's hill. Then we might finally be able to be still and know that He's God. To be still. Listen, oh, so many of us are like this in our spiritual life. We can't be still. Our mind can't be still. Our thoughts can't be still. Our heart can't be still. 
We can't be still and know that He's God because we don't understand the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't understand it, church. Far too it. Listen, the sad reality is there's a lot of people in the house of God that think they have to finish the work of Christ. They think that they still have to do something. They think that it's their good deeds and their good works. They think it's the keeping of the law and the washing of their hands like the Pharisees that will gain them access to the Father. Listen, I could wash my days, I could wash my hands 24 hours a day like the, like the Pharisees did, and I still could not gain access to God. It's not about what I do. It's not about my good deeds. It's not about my good works. It's not about the keeping of the law. Because if I try to live by the law, the Bible says I'm going to die by the law. You want to know why Jesus died on the cross? It was to, please get this, it was to redeem us from the curse of the law, the Bible says. Not even sin. He said he, he, he died on the cross to redeem us from the curse of the law. And far too often, we take that law right back up on our shoulders. And we think, well, if I could just stop doing this and start doing that, I'd be righteous and I'd be holy. Listen, your righteousness, like my righteousness, is like filthy rags. I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Not through what I do or don't do. It's through the wondrous work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. You understand? Now listen, yeah, I'm not saying you go do whatever you want to do in life. You allow the Holy Spirit. But we can't think that, oh, I broke the law today. If I would just do this, God would love me a little more. If I would just stop this, God would love me a little more. Listen, your redemption has already been bought. All you've got to do is receive it and believe it. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That He finished what He started on Calvary's cross. And because of it, I now have access to God. That's that's how we're saved. I picture this sometimes. You know, in the temple, and I'm running out of time, but you know, when Jesus confessed this and he was up on the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed and he says it's finished, the veil in the temple was torn in two. It was ripped from the top to the bottom, demonstrating that man can never on his own gain access to God. And yet that's what we do. The veil's ripped in two and we're going trying to rip it ourselves. We think there's something we can do to gain access to God, and that's a bunch of nonsense, and it is a spiritual lie. There is nothing you can do to gain access to God. Jesus already did it. There's nothing I can do to gain access to God. Jesus already did it. He ripped the veil in two, and now He says, Come boldly into the throne room of grace so that you might find help in your time of need. Stop tugging at the veil, church. Stop trying to live under the burden of the law. Understand what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary's cross and your life will be changed forever. Please get this. The Bible says I love him because he first loved me. If you don't understand what he finished on Calvary's cross, you can never have a full love for him. But when you begin to understand what he did, your love grows deeper. Your fondness grows fuller. And your life becomes more of a reflection of Jesus. I love Him because He first loved me. I love Him because He became sin for me. I love Him because He gained, He gave me access to God. I love Him because He rent the veil in two for me. That's why I love Him. 
because of what He did for me. Do you understand that? We love Him because of what He did for us, church. So here's what I'm going to close with, and here I'm because I'm running out of time. The reality is, Jesus said, it is finished so that we could find rest with God. But the reality is, like I said, so many of us are not finding rest because we've taken our redemption into our own hands. The sad reality is there's so many of us who have become so spiritually arrogant that we actually think we can rot our own salvation by what we do or by what we don't do. Listen, I'm not preaching eternal security here. Please understand me. I'm preaching the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's a huge difference. I'm preaching about the finished work of Jesus Christ, that if we could just understand what He did for me and what that means for me, our life will be changed. The more you understand what He's done for you, the more your life becomes a reflection of Him, the more you want to love Him, church. The more you pour yourself out for Him, the more you want to please Him. But when we, we, we get trapped under the law, we get trapped under this list of do's and don'ts, and we fail to understand the importance of what God did for us. Do you, do you grasp that, church? I'm not preaching, like I said, eternal security, just the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here's where I close. If we go back to John 1.29, when, when, when John the Baptist presented Jesus Christ to the crowds. He said, Behold the precious Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And what we have to remember is that that's exactly why Jesus came. It was Jesus' sole purpose in life and it was His sole purpose in death. It was to take away the sins of the world. To be that once and for all final sacrifice for the Father. For, for the sins of all mankind. It's what He came for and it's what He died for. It was to redeem us. It was to buy us back. To regain God's possession of us. And here on Calvary's cross, at the close of my message and at the close of his life, one more breath and word to go. After he prayed for our forgiveness. After he made the promise of eternal life. After he knit us together with the Father and with each other. After he was rejected so that we could be accepted. After he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. After he poured himself out like water, the Bible says, then and only then was he able to say, it is finished. And I'm thankful that he will finish what he started in you and what he started in me. Amen.